from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Like the child I am, I think my four favorite words sometimes are, I told you so. And sometimes it's, we told you so. If you were listening to Fitz and Harry yesterday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80, we made one thing abundantly clear that we believed would happen. Jamal Murray would step up, step out, and rebound from an okay game two to have an epic game three. Not only did that happen, but in the process, the Nuggets get a huge win in Miami and now lead the series two games to one. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, you saw Harry this morning on Get Up. Double duty for my friend this morning, superstar this morning on Get Up. Now a superstar hanging out with me on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. And look, we expected it, Harry. We said yesterday Jamal Murray needed to have this big bounce back moment. They clipped it off. They put it on social media. Two bad games in a row creates a narrative. He wasn't going to let that happen. I expected aggressiveness out of the gate. Not only did we get aggressiveness from Jamal Murray from the outset, But we get aggressiveness throughout the course of the game from Jokic. And that dynamic duo was unstoppable in a massive win for Denver. Well, that duo has been phenomenal throughout the playoffs, Fitz. But that duo in Game 3 of the NBA Finals put on a historical performance. You talk about a triple-double from two guys. A 30-plus point triple-double from two guys, from your two best players, and they really set the tone for the entire ball game. Jamal Murray being aggressive, Nikola Jokic, and you know, just the multiplicity of different things that both guys can do fits. Being able to shoot the ball from the three-point line, being able to you know, make shots from the mid-range game, being able to drive the ball to the basket and score in the paint, you know, the free throw shooting, but also putting their guys and the other people on their team in positions to be successful. You have two players on your team in which the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, who's able to do all those different things and make the Denver Nuggets a great basketball team in which we witnessed last night in game three of the finals. Yeah, here's what's funny to me, Harry. You know, I like my 80s wrestling analogies, but sometimes like I say all the time for us, we're like a tag team, right? So, you know, I tag you, you go in, you kick some ass, then you tag me, I come in, I kick some ass. Like, that's what we do. What we saw last night was an interesting tag team to me because you're looking at a first half that really was all about the aggressiveness of Jamal Murray. He set a tone, 20 points in the first half. We were all texting each other during the game saying, this is the exactly what I expected. And then in the second half, we saw Jokic turn around and say, no, 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 tag me in. I want to be the dominant one for a little bit. And he went off in the third quarter, went off in the fourth quarter. It's the ability for both of them to lift each other up, to support each other, to make sure they're getting fed, and to recognize when each other is hot that I think makes a huge difference in the way they play. They played last night with a purpose, with this intention, right? But they also played with eyes open on feeding each other to make sure that they could get to where they wanted to be. It was it was stunning to see two guys play that well while also being aware of the other guy that was playing that well. Well, I think that's one of the things that, that makes them so special is because the unselfishness that they play with, right? When you see Nikola Jokic getting hot, Jamal Murray's trying to get him the basketball, right? If Jamal Murray's hot, Nikola Jokic is doing his best to try to get him the basketball. But Fitz, I got a few numbers for you. Jokic and Murray combined for 24 field goals. The Miami Heat had 34. Hmm. Jokic and Murray, Murray combined for 31 rebounds. The Miami Heat had 33. 
Jokic and Murray combined for 20 assists. The Miami Heat had the same amount. So this duo, and, and, and I understand when both of the guys came in the lead and Nikola Jokic, you know, has been in the lead a year uh, longer than Jamal Murray, but these two guys came off the bench together early on in their careers. So they've had that chemistry for a very, very long time. It was just a matter of Jamal Murray in his health situation, you know, being healthy and being available at all times so those guys can be on the court at the same time. But they've been together for a while, and it's paying dividends because they understand one another from top to bottom. They understand how to elevate one another, and it's making magic on the basketball court, things that we haven't seen being done before. A 30-plus point triple-double by both guys in an NBA Finals game? Unheard of. But guess what? These two eyes love doing, Fitz. These two eyes love watching those two players right there play the game of basketball because they play the game the right way. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Jokic and Murray, we're getting it done. Getting it done brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by today. If you don't believe us on how incredible that night was, you will believe Mike Malone, the Denver head coach, who said afterwards that this was the most historic performance he'd ever seen from Murray and Jokic. I've been with Nicola for eight and uh, Jamal for seven years now. You know, we've had some pretty good moments, but not in the NBA Finals. And for those guys to make history the way they did tonight, uh, no one's ever done that. I mean, that's what's really neat about it. You get the win. I thought our defense was fantastic tonight. You hold that team to 94 points, 37 from the field, only 11 threes. That really helped us out tonight, the defending and rebounding at a high level. But by far their greatest performance as a duo in their seven years together. Harry, it has me thinking about something we talked about before with coaches. Like, Mike Malone has been tough on this team at times, but I was listening to the radio broadcast last night, and at one point, Ross Golden Wude was standing right outside of their huddle, and there was a TV timeout. She came As they came back on the radio broadcast, she referenced the fact that she could hear the conversation in the huddle, and it was full of praise and love for the guys for the intensity they were playing with. As hard as Mike Malone has been on him, he also then comes out and gives you that nugget, the best performance he has ever seen from those two guys together. It's become abundantly clear whether we understand what he's trying to accomplish every time he sits in front of a mic. He has the pulse of what makes these guys tick. But Fitz, we we had this conversation, right? Because we understand what we love is, you know, from coaches. And sometimes it takes a coach keeping things real with not just some players, but all players and doing it in a manner in which, you know, players might not always like, but they respect it 110%. Now, the second part of that is being able to praise those guys when they are doing things that you're asking them to do on the basketball court. And that's what you're speaking of right now, what happened in Game 3. Mike Malone understood that he jumped his team after Game 2. So it, when you get to Game 3 and you see those guys giving that defensive effort and they, they're going the extra mile, you praise them. I also love what he said in the fourth quarter. We, we all have heard that sound, right? Hey, guys, the first two games, this team has won the fourth quarter. We're going to win the fourth quarter this time. Just a night in that fire for his basketball team to go out there and put on a hell of a performance to be able to win this game three because we all know how important it is. You know, 80% of the teams who wins uh, game three of the NBA Finals go on to win that finals. And Michael Malone understood that, but he understood, you know, he didn't want his basketball team because they were up to let their foot off the gas pedal. But being able to praise your guys when they do um, great things, but jump them when things aren't right, I thought was brilliant by Mike Malone. But it's also responding to coaches from the players. And I thought Jamal Murray did a great job because he wasn't the best defensively. He wasn't aggressive in game two. 
but responding to his coaches and understanding that he's not attacking me as an individual. He's just no, he just understands the best Jamal Murray. And in game two, I didn't give the best Jamal Murray to, to, to the rest of my teammates, the coaching staff, the organization, nor the fans watching the game. But in game three, he did. We want to put everything out there on the line. And you mentioned that. I heard Wendy this morning on Get Up when I was watching you because you're a superstar. Uh, I was watching Get Up. I heard Wendy reference the fact that maybe the most impressive part of Jokic's game, uh, Jokic's game, not just Murray, but Jokic, was the defensive side of the ball. The way he played defensively, it spoke to the fact that everybody was on a different level. This is what Wendy, our ESPN NBA analyst, said on Get Up about Mike Malone specifically and his ability to motivate his team for Game 3. This was the finest coaching I've ever seen him do over the last three days. He understands that in his locker room, he's got to be the bad cop. It's not something that Jokic and Murray do. His veteran voices don't really play big roles. It's not their MO. So he broke them down after game two, called them out publicly, and then he built them back up. So he broke them down and then he started building them up. We saw him with his arm around Jamal Murray at practice, uh, you know, be, be, you know be before game three, pumping him back up. Then they showed last night on the ABC broadcast, his, his speech before the game, pumping them back up. It worked perfectly. He set them up perfectly. This was Mike Malone's finest moment in getting this, this performance from his team. Harry, I just, I hear that and I keep thinking about what we've seen from Denver, because we've certainly seen uh, and expect to see adjustments from Miami. What we saw yesterday was adjustments from the, the, the Nuggets. We saw great coaching from the Nuggets, and we saw greatness from not one, but two players in the course of one game. Uh, what we saw yesterday was an example of how stinking good the Nuggets can be when they are at their best. Yeah, and it's a thing of beauty because it's, you know, it's hard to get guys to play the game the right way because the individualistic part of things, you know, sometimes in, interrupts that. But being able to see these two guys on the same page and being able to be an example to the rest of the players on the Denver Nuggets basketball team, along with the sprinkle of, you know, Jeff Green being that veteran guy, you hear him time and time again talking to Aaron Gordon. That was amazing. I just, th- I just think it's a, it's a, it's a thing of beauty and, and you love to see it. Because it's not like that every place. I I promise you it's not. Not only was it a a thing of beauty listening to Jeff Green, but watching Eric Gordon take the coaching, like that was just so cool to me that he was trying to understand what he was being told and why he was being told. Speaks to camaraderie that they've got rolling. We've got a lot of praise to heap on the Nuggets, including some historic stats you will not believe about Nikola Jokic. We will give you that throughout the course of the show. But coming up, the the Nuggets ran right through the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. But did L.A.'s chances of getting past Denver just get a whole lot better for the future? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. The Suns are planning on waving the point god himself, Chris Paul. The bottom line, he's 38 years of age, one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. He's got to be in a position where he's competing for a championship. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
the Suns are planning on waiving the point god himself, Chris Paul. The bottom line, he's 38 years of age, one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. He's got to be in a position where he's competing for a championship. No true surprises. If you look at the Lakers and the Clippers, both of those opportunities make sense for different reasons. They've come up short based on expectations. He adds to that position big time for both of those squads. One of the biggest stories in all of sports yesterday was about the NBA, but not about the NBA Finals matchup we got last night. No, about one of the biggest stars in the NBA. The question is, if Chris Paul goes somewhere else, what version of Chris Paul is that team actually getting? It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas and Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's start with the, the most important portion of this. This is the latest, according to Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA analyst, on Get Up This Morning. This is the latest between CP3 and the Phoenix Suns. One of the things that the Suns talked to Chris Paul about when they met with him is they could have four players make over $30 million this year, and the new CBA just makes it very difficult for that to happen. And so it's possible that they could make another move where they could save some salaries, especially if they're able to trade DeAndre Ayton. The final decision hasn't been made. I think it's likely that by the end of the month, uh, June 28th, we'll see Chris Paul waived. I think his future is in, in one of two places. One is Los Angeles, be it the Lakers or the Clippers, both teams potentially in need of a point their point guards on both teams are free agents, Russell Westbrook, D'Angelo Russell. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think it's worth pointing out that the Suns could bring him back. It would almost act kind of like an NFL-style restructuring where his contract is paid out in a partial guarantee and they bring him back for a lesser salary. But that's what I would bet on. I would bet on either L.A. or Phoenix for Chris Paul once we get into July. The question that I have, Harry, though, is for any of those teams, who are they really getting? Are they getting Chris Paul or like you remember the ads that they did? Or are they getting Cliff Paul? Like is Chris Paul still him to those teams? <laughs> um, well, what do you mean by him? A guy that can what average what twenty plus a season and ten assists? No, I don't think he's still that guy. Um, I think he's a guy that can orchestrate things and you know put the offense in positions that it probably needs to be in. But if you think you're gonna you're gonna get Chris Paul and he's gonna be able to play 39, 40 minutes. A night at the age that he is, I don't think that's going to be feasible for any team that he goes to. Now, if, if we're just talking about a guy in Chris Paul, the best position for him to win an NBA championship or get to an NBA Finals, again, I think is in Phoenix with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, which is still an option what Wendy talked about. But then after that, you you look at the the Lakers and I think it's a decent fit for the Lakers. Does it move the needle for me to be able to say, okay, if Chris Paul was with the Lakers this season and they faced the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs, the, the Los Angeles Lakers would have won that series? No, it doesn't. It doesn't do that for me, Fitz. I, I think part of this is there's value. And we were just talking about, so I want to be fair, like Jeff Green, we were just talking about a few minutes ago, watching his leadership from the bench, his coaching from the bench. I'm not saying that Chris Paul all of a sudden is only worth being a bench guy. But let's face it, throughout the course of the playoffs, he was already basically a backup point guard to Devin Booker for the Suns, right? Like, I think you have to understand what you're getting. And we hear the brand Chris Paul, so we automatically think, oh, the brand Chris Paul makes a ton of sense with the brand of the Lakers and the brand of LeBron. And you and I have talked a lot throughout the course of the playoffs. The Lakers need somebody that can be a bit of a facilitator to help AD and LeBron get the ball where they want to go. But they also need somebody that is a facilitator and can also turn on the gas when they have to to get you 20, 25 points. They need 
somebody that when he presses the turbo button can be the second best player on the court. Do I think Chris Paul would have value to the Lakers? Sure. Do I think Chris Paul suddenly becomes a champion with the Lakers? No, I don't think that, that that bridges the gap. Look at the excellence we saw last night from the Nuggets. I don't think Chris Paul turns the Lakers into a team that beats what we saw last night. Well, see, and that's the thing for me, right? When you watch the Lakers play the Denver Nuggets this season, um, in the playoffs, I, I should say, and you got to moments where you know exhausted because of the energy and you wasn't getting that extra oomph from Anthony Davis, I need a guy that can 30 if needs be you to put them in the position to be champions or in favors to make the finals it just doesn't move the needle for me yeah I think if we start looking at Chris Paul for where he is at this stage in his career for what he will actually cost the next team he could be great value I just don't think that he becomes you know he, he might be on the billboard because he's famous but he's not on the billboard because he becomes like that epic night in and night night out player you guys can always chime in on this Dana in Richmond wants to chime in triple eight say ESPN 888-729-3776 Dana thanks for calling the show what you got What's up, Harry? What's up, Fit? What's up? Hey, I just went in on T-Shawn with just yesterday. I think the Lakers did the worst thing when we got LeBron and we got AD because we the, we the prototype team that didn't do player development. Kuzman, Caruso, Brandon Ingram, Ball, even though you hurt me, I could go down the line. Look at um, Caldwell Pope. He and Denver lighting the Lakers up right now. We get rid of all our players and take on all these old players. Please don't get another old player. Please. Rob <laughs> Felipe, you're going to go down at the worst GM in Laker history, man, with all these old players you keep bringing to our team. Develop young talent. Please. Dana, thanks well, for the call. See, see, Fitz, that's another side of this, right? Because – when you look at a guy, a guy in Chris Paul, what's one of the things that the dark cloud that's been over his head in the last few years, especially when it's come to the playoffs, being able to be available and being healthy to be able to help his team get to a position where they feel like they need to be and actually can, can win a title. Look, the injury bug has hit him just about every time recently. Uh, you know, as, in AD and LeBron, I mean, it's not like they're getting younger either. I mean, as the as the resident athlete on this show that I am, you know, I'm dealing with the stress <laughs> fracture at my foot. 46 years old. That's the number one thing. The number one thing everybody says to me when they see the boot on my foot is, oh, man, getting old sucks. Not, man, you were working your ass off at this gym. No, nobody says that. Everybody looks and they're like, oh, stress fracture, getting old sucks, right? Like, uh, yes, by the way, it does, but it's better than the alternative. I feel weird saying, hey, Chris Paul is old, but let's be real. Chris Paul is old. And Dane is right. Like, the, the Lakers gave up completely on any plan for development of talent when they decided that they were going to go the direction they went. And uh, it's also worth noting, not only did they acquire older talent, they gave up a ton of their draft capital to do it, so they didn't even give themselves a chance in the future to start to press the reset button. I am curious to see what the Lakers are going to do because at some point, they will need a foundation that they can build on. And that foundation is not LeBron. That foundation was supposed to be AD. And I'm not looking at AD right now saying, okay, that's my foundational piece, right? Like Chris Paul coming in is nice for next year if you're trying to win a championship, but that doesn't help you long-term for the next three or five. Dana's 100% right. There's been no attention paid to the future for the Lakers, and the theory is at some point it'll kick, it'll kick their butts. Yeah, I think if, if you're talking about the future of the Lakers, I think you know trying to go get a guy like Trey Young who is still young and that guy that isn't scared to make shots in yep. uh, the opposing team's building and take a bow and be the villain – 
I think that's the type of guy you would want to go get if you're talking about moving forward with your organization if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. That would be a home run for him. Chris Paul is simply just a means to an end and a nice name. All right. Speaking of Chris Paul, a former teammate of Chris Paul will tell us the best fit for him. Plus, what the heck happened to the Heat? We'll break it all down. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. down the lane. Missed the jumper. Jokic, 20 rebounds in game three. Murray's going to drive, takes two defenders, flips it high off the glass and gets it to go. There's the triple-double for Jamal Murray. Got the rebound with five seconds to go. First time in NBA history. Two players, same team with a triple-double, and the Nuggets get home court advantage right back. They beat the Heat to go up two games to one in the finals. It felt somewhere between a clinic and a work of art. Because when the Nuggets do what the Nuggets are capable of doing, not only do they win big, but somehow they make it look easy the entire time. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. You just heard it there. The Nuggets lead the Heat 2-1. Coverage will start Friday for the next game, game four, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio. We're going to bring in an expert to help us break it all down. Antonio Daniels, former NBA guard, Sirius XM NBA radio host. Antonio, really appreciate your time, man. We'll get to, obviously, the NBA Finals in a second, but we have to start with Chris Paul. We were just talking about it. You played with Chris Paul in New Orleans. In your mind, what's the best spot for him at this point in his career? Um, I don't know. That's weird. Um, not the fact that they've waived him. First, fellas, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming on. But I think it's more – I'm trying to see if there's something more to this. Because a lot of times when situations like this happen, they'll waive a guy simply to resign him. So there's something, that's, there's something that's going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But if there is another situation out there for Chris Paul, there are certain scenarios that put him in a championship fast lane, right? You think about him going to L.A. and playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You think about him going back to New Orleans. A couple of days ago, he was on the podcast talking about his love that he has for the city of New Orleans. You put him alongside C.J. McCollum and Zion Williamson and, and Brandon Ingram and those guys. So there are certain situations out there, and also depending on what actually transpires in Philadelphia with James Harden, you can see him going to a situation like the Philadelphia 76ers as well. When you have a guy like Chris Paul, there are a lot of situations out there that make sense because a lot of teams are lacking a traditional point guard. Yeah, I love the Philadelphia um, part of it. I thought that was one of the things that they were lacking on top of like the consistency at the point guard position because James Harden would be so sporadic. Great one day, you know, off two games in a row. Chris Paul is a natural uh, born floor general and a guy that will be able to get and beat the ball and also Maxi along with Tobias Harris in their sweet spots. But I got to ask you, what is a team actually getting in Chris Paul at this moment right now? Well, first and foremost, you get leadership. Um, I feel like one of the most underrated aspects in today's NBA is 
locker room leadership and discipleship because the league has gotten so much younger um, and guys need leadership. You look at some of the different situations that are transpiring off the floor in today's NBA. You know, guys need vets. They need vets in that locker room. And one of the things that you're getting with Chris Paul is what he's going to bring to your team outside of the four line. We know what we're getting inside the four lines. You're talking about one of the best point guards to ever touch a basketball. You're talking about arguably the best game manager in today's NBA alongside with someone like LeBron James or Nikola Jokic. So you know what you're getting inside the four lines. But what a lot of NBA locker rooms are in need of now is leadership, discipleship, tutelage from guys that have been there before but also can't just preach it, can also still get out there and get it done. We're talking to Antonio Daniels, former NBA guard, Sirius XM NBA radio host. I love everything you just said. Gave me goosebumps hearing about leadership, but it makes me think about some of what we saw last night from the Nuggets, not just from Jeff Green on the on the bench, but also just from Mike Malone and his ability to get the best out of the guys in Game 3 after a lackluster Game 2. Give me sort of your eyes on what you've seen from the Nuggets, particularly in Game 3, and their ability to turn that around. What was the difference? Well, here's the thing. You know, you hear certain organizations constantly talk about accountability. And I feel like that's a very overused word in today's NBA because everybody talks about it, but everybody doesn't want to receive it. And championship situations and championship cultures and teams receive accountability the correct way, right? So what you saw from game one to game two from Denver was an issue of of effort. And I don't know how many times over the past two and a half, three days, where Mike Malone questioned the effort of his team. Now, if you're with another team, possibly not a championship team, then guys' feelings get hurt. Guys don't go out there and respond the correct way. Yesterday at the end of our Sirius XM radio show, my co-host Rick Campbell asked me, who do you think is going to win game three and tell me why? And I said, I feel like Denver's going to win game three because I feel like they're going to respond to Mike Malone's voice the correct way. Right? So when a coach is holding guys accountable and it starts at top, it starts at the top, it starts with the stars, it starts with, with Nikola Jokic and, and Jamal Murray taking that accountability and being first in line saying, you know what, coach, you're right, I didn't do my job. Everybody else gets in line. When I was here in San Antonio playing with the Spurs and Greg Popovich would curse out Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Avery Johnson and Sean Elliott and those guys, it wasn't about the fact that he was cursing them out. It was about the way they responded. Because if he can get if he can light into them, and then they respond the correct way, how me coming off the bench that sets a precedent and tone and a standard for the rest of the team. So I felt like the difference between game two and game three was the way that they responded to Mike Malone holding them accountable. Ooh, you talk about the standard. The standard is not compromised for anyone. I don't care top to bottom. And I love coaches that, you know, understand what the standard is, and also right. they're not going to let their players, you know you know, play below what the standards actually required. But uh, last one I have for you, what, what kind of statement did Jamal Murray make last night with his Game 3 performance? I, and, and I mean this, that, uh, Harry, I don't think he made a statement. Jamal Murray's not doing anything different right now than what we haven't come, become to expect out of him this time of the year. You know what? Game 2 to me was an anomaly because you didn't expect that type of performance out of Jamal Murray. But what you expected was a comeback performance like you got last night out of him. So 
think of the Jamal Murray. You know, we constantly talk about Bubble Murray and, you know, Bubble Jamal Murray and so on and so forth. We talk about playoff Jimmy. And it's warranted. There's a drastic difference between the Jamal Murray that we have seen after the second week of April to now than the Jamal Murray we've seen in the regular season. He has played himself into a completely different category in this postseason. And I would argue, with them being where they are now, Nikola Jokic deserves a ton of credit. Yes, he's historic every time he steps on the floor. But listen, man, Jamal Murray has been the best point guard, the best league guard in this postseason. Hands down. I love it. No question about it. But we wouldn't have thought that coming into the postseason. So what the postseason has shown is it's a great opportunity for guys to change the narrative around it. And I feel like Jamal Murray, for his future and the way he's viewed by not just fans but also coaches, is right in front of our eyes, again, changing the narrative that surrounded him. He will be a perennial all-star now moving forward because he is playing his best basketball at the most important and impactful time of the season. Antonio, I need you to do me a favor because your co-host uh-huh. with Kamala, that's who I started my media career with. That's who I got thrown into the fire with. It was him and Jamie Dukes. And he helped me out tremendously. I call him cough drop Rick because he keeps a cough drop on a piece of paper when he needs to eat it in between breaks. So tell him Harry Douglas said what's up and I miss him, man. I will do that. I definitely will do that. Antonio, we appreciate your time and your insight, man. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your eyes on all of this. Uh For sure. God bless you guys. Antonio Daniels, Sirius XM NBA radio host. Uh, Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Round out your protection with life, phone, and pet health insurance like I do with Annabelle. Love you, Annabelle. All right, one NFL team is about to get a chance to make a massive statement to the rest of the league. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Jason Fitz and Harry Douglas are Fitz and Harry. I'm scared of Howard the Duck, so I don't wait, know wait, 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 wait. Howard the Duck is scared of? Yes. Howard the Duck. Why, why would you possibly be scared of an adorable little huggable duck with a big backside? Because, man, I seen this, like, duck scary movie when I was a kid. And it was, I, all I can remember is it was, the, the duck was, like, evil. And it was, like, a truck, a big truck that the duck was in. And I used to have nightmares about it. So I never liked ducks from that point on. I like big ducks and I cannot lie. What? <laughs> I'm workshopping it. Still working on it. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You other brothers can't deny. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. God. Oh, I'm sorry to backside shame Howard the Duck. I, uh, I take it all back. Uh, Harry, 
there is a, we'll get back to the NBA in a second because there's a ton to break down. Obviously, I thought we were going to spend a full three hours today breaking down the Vegas Golden Knights matchup for uh, tonight against the Florida Panthers and the opportunity to go up 3 nothing in uh, the quest for Lord Stanley's Cup. But, but... The NFL reminded us that they are always king as we got NFL news today. The Vikings are expected to try to trade four-time Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook one more time today. They're coming out there saying, hey, we're going to release him tomorrow officially if a trade can't be reached. This is an economics number. By releasing him after June 1st, the Vikings saved $9 million in cap space. Uh, But here's what's interesting, all right? There's one team I feel like you and I have been talking about a lot the last week, week and a half, two weeks. All right, per Adam Schefter, the Denver Broncos and Miami Dolphins are two of the teams that are expected to have an interest in signing Dalvin Cook once he officially is released. There likely will be others, but these two have been monitoring Cook for weeks. The thought of the Miami Dolphins, who I've said to you many times, I think are the toughest team to predict. The thought of the Dolphins adding Dalvin Cook, my God, does that stack that roster even more. Well, for me... I think it's game-changing, and here's why. Yes, Raheem Mostert, is he a good running back? Yes. Sure. Is Jeff Wilson Jr. a good running back? Yes. Is the rookie Davon A-Chain, can he be phenomenal and has a lot of speed? Yes, surely he can. But Dalvin Cook is a guy who has had the production for a long period of time in this league. I'll just say the last four years, right? He has over 5,000 yards. 43 touchdowns rushing. Receiving, he has over 1,300 yards, three touchdowns. I think when I look at the Miami Dolphins and one of the things that they were missing last season from their offense was the run game. Not that it wasn't wasn't efficient, but I didn't think their head coach, Mike McDaniel, who calls the plays, I didn't think he was consistent in calling it. Now, you bring in a Dalvin Cook, you have no choice whatsoever but to be consistent calling the run because you want a guy like that with the ball in his hands not only do you give him the football in his hands by handing it off to him he's also a threat in the pass game so now it forces you to run the football effectively now that adds more of an arsenal to your offense and also helps Tua Tungavaloa out a lot at the quarterback position Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara are the only players with at least 1,300 scrimmage yards in each of the last four years. If you look at over the last four years, Dalvin Cook has the second most scrimmage yards total in the NFL. If you look at his average, he's averaged 110 yards per game over the last four seasons, second most in the NFL during that time. Uh, If you look right at the numbers, at what he's been doing and continues to do, a 27-year-old Dalvin Cook is worth all of it. The problem is he has the third highest cap hit of all running backs, and obviously Minnesota right now is restructuring what they're paying. We're seeing them get a lot and get rid of several big names, and we're seeing Dalvin Cook be part of this, but I I, got to make this clear. There are two things that we've learned through this process. Number one, this is why we are sitting where we're sitting when it comes to some of the running back conversations about money. This is why the Raiders haven't franchised Josh Jacobs. This is why the Saquon Barkley conversations are difficult. But the other side of it is part because you look at where the money goes. Zeke got paid. Now Zeke's worthless. Dalvin Cook got paid. He's still producing and they don't want to pay him the $14 million that they would have to give him this year. So when you look at it, this is all about the dollars and cents. But for a team like Miami, 
if you can find a way to add him, to your point, you have to be more disciplined running the ball. And you don't just get a running back. This isn't a Chris Paul where he's not as good. You're getting a superstar right now that can come in, contribute, and help you when you realize, as the Dolphins should, that their Super Bowl window is right now, Harry. Like, this absolutely can, it continues to emphasize my point that I believe the, the Dolphins feel like they are in Super Bowl now opportunities. And you, you see a guy in Dalvin Cook, if he had his choice, yes, you would like to get traded so your money could potentially stay the same. But if you're going to be released, you want to be released so you can choose and pick where you want to go. We know he wouldn't mind playing in Florida, where he's from, in a state that has no state income tax, Mm. in a state where he played college ball as well. So all those things play a factor in Dalvin Cook. On top of the Miami Dolphins are just loading and loading up. If they choose to add Dalvin Cook to their roster. Now, when it comes to Minnesota, you look at things from, you know, a broader perspective. And you say to yourself, are we really going to win a Super Bowl this season? Okay, so why are we playing this running back this much amount of money when they have a backup running back in Alexander Madison? And I understand he is not Dalvin Cook, but when he has had his opportunity and his number called to play, he has produced as well. So Minnesota's saying to themselves, well, okay, well, there's no reason for us to be paying a running back this, this money, and we can just go to Alexander Madison. We're not probably going to win the Super Bowl anyway. They're not going to say that out loud, but their chances of them winning the Super Bowl are very, very, very slim. I don't even have them making the playoffs this season. I, I think the Vikings are telling you that they've looked in the mirror and realized last year's record was not real to where they are as a football team. Nope. They had a very good record last year, but they let Adam Thielen walk. They've let Dalvin Cook walk. Those two players played 94% of their offensive snaps last year. Well, the- Zadarius Smith yep. and also Patrick Peterson. You go across the board, the Vikings have told you they've looked in the mirror and they realize they're not as good as their record was last year, and they're in rebuild mode. In the meantime, good luck stacking the box if he goes to the Dolphins, because if you do that, Tyreek Hill is going to murder you. All right, the Nuggets were able to take Game 3 because of one simple thing. We'll tell you what it is next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 